So as you know, from time to time, we have members of our Calvin community who come and talk to us about what they're living and how their lives are going and invite us to pray for them. And so we have representatives from one of our project neighborhood houses here, the Harambe House. Shout out for the Harambe House. Yes. Um, our project neighborhood houses are all in uh, neighborhoods, hence the name. Um, out in the city, and these students and mentor families live together in intentional community, and they also uh, do serve and witness to the local uh, church and neighbors that are around them. And Harambe is associated with First Christian Reformed Church in Grand Rapids, and so James and Gabe are going to invite us to pray for them. What, what can we pray for for you guys? Hi, my name is James, and I'm one of the mentors, along with my wife Sarah, at the Harambe House. Um, when you're living together with six or seven or eight people for... What did I say? Okay. <laughs> when you're living with people all the time like that, inevitably you're going to run and you're going to rub each other the wrong way sometimes. And so my prayer for us is as we encounter conflict that we take it as a chance to grow and learn to love each other more and more because that, that core of the, the being community together is what makes it possible for us to reach out to the neighbors. And I'm Gabe, um, and I would just like to ask you all to pray for our community. It's a very transient neighborhood. Um, there's really low rates of home ownership. So over the last couple of years, there's been a trend um, of wealthier people moving into the neighborhood and buying homes and fixing them up, which is really good for the geographical space. But for people who are renting and who can't afford to own a home, that makes the rent slowly rise and kind of pushes them out. So just prayer for more employment opportunities in the neighborhood, really. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys. Let me set that down. Give me some love. And then hard is it to believe we're actually in the last week of October. <clears throat> I know. Which means there's a new loft and worship calendar. Woo! I know. It's exciting. These are available. Um, right on the lecterns outside as you leave, so grab one. And it actually goes uh, December, uh, November through the last worship that we'll be doing in December before y'all go home. So if you're, you could just hang it up and be like, cross days off, and like, how many are we? We're almost there, right? It's got Thanksgiving on here, and then it has this thing called No Chapel Due to Exams down at the bottom. So <laughs> can you believe it's that close? Some of you are just like having heart palpitations right now. Put it away! Who would like this? Who would like this one right here? John, you get it. There you go. Excellent. Our worship apprentices will sign it for you if you'd like it <laughs> autographed. I want to offer that to you. That's a bonus just for you. All right. Um, and it's, it's worship together that actually helps us sustain in times of stress and uh, busyness, and it's a gift to be able to do that together. It's a gift to be able to give. We give every week here for the Community Care Fund. You're doing such a good job at this, and this is a really important way of saying, it's not all about me. It's about what God is doing in the life of the community, and we're going to practice our generosity muscles by continuing to give. And so let's do that now. Let's have an offering for the Community Care Fund.
to like lay hands on it and anoint it with oil or something. But, uh, Paul could just turn it off. That's also a great choice. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that when we surrender all, you receive it. You receive it. Our sorrows, our burdens, our sins, the shame we carry, the guilt, our futures, our anxiety, our depression, When we surrender all, you take it. And you say, yeah, let me me carry that. I've got that for you. You don't need to carry any more these heavy things. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that is such a word of grace to overwhelmed and too busy people. Thank you that you want to change us from the inside out, that you are the everlasting, that your light shines when all else fails. Thank you. We continue to pray for members of our community who need light, who need brightness, who need hope. For those who are grieving parents or grandparents or siblings, for those whose midterms did not go as planned and need to reevaluate why they're here and what they're studying and what they thought they were going to do. We pray for Michael Thompson as he continues to deal with the after effects of brain cancer. We pray for his healing. We pray for his family and his doctors as they make choices about his care and for him as he thinks about his future. Help him to surrender it. We pray for others in our community who are in grief or loss or worried about things to come. Yet your mercy will tend to all of us. And there's so much as a community for us to be thankful for. For those of us who have found our major and pretty sure we've found a vocation, What an amazing thing it is to feel like we're in the sweet spot when we're in certain classes or in an internship or working with people in the speech pathology lab or student teaching or that first time we give somebody a shot and we think, yeah, I can do this nursing thing. Thank you, Lord, for those moments when we just know we're right where we are supposed to be. Thank you that you are a God that doesn't waste anything. And you don't waste conflict. You use it, as James said, to help us grow. And so we pray for the Harambe house. We pray, Lord, that as these people learn to live well together, they will do it in honesty and transparency. It takes such risk. It takes confessing sin and it takes forgiveness and it can be messy and painful and we don't want to do it. But Holy Spirit, you are in the Harambe house. And you want to grow those people up into the full stature of Christ. And so weave them together. 
And Lord, we pray for that neighborhood, the neighborhood of First CRC and Bates Place and the Harambe House, as they see the changes that are happening and they want to be wise about how to invest in the neighborhood and the church thinks about how to invest its resources and time, give wisdom to them. We pray for great new employment opportunities. We pray for those who are struggling with the burden of past convictions that make it harder for them to find employment. Lord, we pray that you open up doors where it seems like all the doors are closing so that these people who so desperately want to get on their feet and do well and contribute can do so. And for the students in Harambe and James and Sarah, may they have good ideas about how to help their neighbors in really tangible and practical ways and let their neighbors help them. We pray this for all of us, that we will be good neighbors, that we will be attentive to the people with whom we are living. It's so easy to just shove things aside and ignore them. But what we really need to do is admit them and confess them and make it right. Because this is where you live. You live in the conflict and the chaos because this is where you bring dead people to life. And so bring us to life, we pray. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James. We thank you for our brother James, who years ago was so passionate about the gospel that he couldn't put down his pen. And he wrote to his friends to say, this is how we get to live now. Isn't this great? And so, Lord, help us to listen to our brother James. More importantly, help us to listen to you. Now you use him to speak to us. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, and all God's people say, amen. James, back at it. Page 982 in your pew Bibles. Page 982, it's the black book in the pew. It says Bible on it. Page 982, and this is the eighth sermon on James. We've got two more. So um, if you are a Bible study leader and you haven't yet registered your group, even if you're off campus and you've got four people, would you just send a note to studyjames at calvin.edu and just say, we have four people in our group. We have five people in our group. If you haven't yet, let us know the number because that helps us to track the influence of this work that we're all doing on the entire campus and beyond. So if you're off campus, or if you're an alumni, or someone who's watching online who's also doing James, even if you're doing it all by yourself, just study James at calvin.edu. Let us know how many people are studying it together. That gives us a really good count and helps us to prepare resources for the next year. All right, James 4, we're going to read the end of uh, 4 and the beginning of 5. So James 4, 13 through 5, verse 6. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. 
Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and the rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure for the last days. Listen. The wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. This is the word of the Lord. They thought they had the world by the tail. Because their father had passed down to them what had been passed down by his father to him and his father to them, they had a trade route that the Romans wouldn't mess with. They'd made enough deals over the years that they had free access to a great way to buy and sell their goods. They were Sadducees, part of the aristocratic Jewish class Merchants who traveled, who bought and sold, who knew how to make a shekel. They were good at it. And they didn't mind telling you that they were good at it. Oh, yeah. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work our way up the coast, you see. We're going to go Joppa, Caesarea, and then up to Tyre and Sidon. And if the weather holds and things work out, maybe all the way up to Antioch. And then we're going to come back down and go inland. But we want to be back in Jerusalem in time for festival because, you know, that's, that's big money time. We got plans. This is what we're going to do. We've got it all planned out. We've got it all planned out. We've got it all planned out. We've been poring over the course schedules. We've made the appointment with our academic advisor. We've been surf- surfing ratemyprofessor.com. We've got it all planned out. If I take section A of this and section C of this, that'll allow me to take the only section there is of this. But if I had to take section B of this, that means I have to take Professor Y, and I do not want to take Professor Y. So this all has to work out. I've got it all planned out. And I've got to choose a practical major. A practical major that's going to have an internship that will set me up well because it's really all about eventually making a living. I've got it all planned out. And people like it when we have it all planned out. Your uncle leans across the table at Thanksgiving and he says to you, what are your plans? And it's really handy when you can tell him some plans. Well, as you know, I worked in the lab with my professor last summer, and I'm majoring in chemistry, and I'm going to work in that lab again this summer, and I'm going to study for the MCATs, and I'm going to nail them, and next fall I'm going to start applying to medical school, and I'm going to become a doctor. (laughs) And your uncle is like, good! It's good to have a plan, it's good to be practical, it's good to know how you're going to make a living in this world. You run into your former teacher in the grocery store, and she says, What are you studying? And you say, I'm studying business. In this past summer, I had an awesome internship, and it went so well that when I graduated in May, they offered to hire me. 
And she says, that's great. It's good to have a plan. It's good to know how you're going to make ends meet. And you're like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it's good to have a plan. It's good to know how you're going to make a living. It's good to know how you're going to go about your days. And into the middle of our planning and scheming, James kind of puts up a hand and he says, okay, um, so let me get this straight. You, you want to take a certain class now so that eventually you'll be able to buy more things. Do I have that right? You want to be able to get a certain class schedule now so you get yourself the easiest possible life now so you can set yourself up for the easiest and most lucrative life later. Just so we're clear. Is that, is that what we're doing? Is that what we're working for? Is we're looking for the, the ability to make a living? Is that what we're going for, James says to us? Is that what this is about? To the Jewish merchants, the Sadducees, the aristocrats, who became part and parcel of the church, who thought that their money-making was kind of morally neutral. And to those of us who plan and scheme and try to set ourselves up for the best possible life, which for most of us means something having to do with money, James says, is this really who you want to become? See, the merchants in his time kind of felt like they were doing okay because they weren't the rich farmers that he talks about here. They weren't exploiting anybody. They were just making some bank. And he says to them, don't envy the rich. Do not try to become the rich. And he talks to them about what the rich become. People who are only focused on money, he says. And the first part of chapter 5 is about non-believing, wealthy people. And he says to them, come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have rusted. Their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat up your flesh like fire. James says, you guys got to be careful about what you're striving for. You've got to pay attention to what God says about money. And for those of us who know Jesus and know the teachings of Jesus, we can hear them echoed here in James 5. Some of you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Do you hear how James has woven those images into his chapter? He also has woven in the idea that's communicated in Luke 12, Jesus is teaching, somebody pops up from the back and says, hey, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. 
And Jesus says, look, nobody made me your judge or arbiter over that business. But be on your guard against all kinds of greed. In fact, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There was this guy, and he had an amazing yield, an amazing crop. He was huge. It was farther than he'd ever gone before. It was amazing. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my little barns, and I'm going to build big barns, and I'm going to put all my stuff in the barns, and then I'm going to say to myself, self, you have done well. You have plenty of things stored up for your own enjoyment. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, and you know what God says to that guy? You idiot. (laughs) You fool. This very night your life's going to be demanded of you. And then what's going to happen to your stuff? Jesus says, that's what's going to happen to people who are rich toward themselves and they're not rich toward God. James does not want his people to be confused that if you have the goal of making money, that goal will consume you. It will eat your flesh like fire. He is not messing around. Don't envy the rich, he says, because look at what's coming for them. Look at what's coming for them. Instead, he says, this is the way you have to think about it. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. Now, some of you have heard this phrase before, like people say, oh, God willing, this thing will happen, or if the Lord wills, this thing will happen. Some of you know that for a long season, people would write the initials DV after their plans, which meant a Latin phrase that was Deo Valente, which meant God wills. So they like make out these plans and then put a little DV on there, like covering themselves a bit. TV, Deo Valente, well, if God wills, we'll do this. If God wills, we'll do this. But you miss out because that's not what James says. James doesn't say if the Lord wills, you'll do that. What's the middle part of that phrase? If the Lord wishes, we will what first? Live. That's kind of important. (laughs) If the Lord wishes, you will live until tomorrow. What's your name? Say it louder. Demi. We've met before, yes. If the Lord wills, you wake up tomorrow morning. I don't know. I have to see. (laughs) Now, all of you just had a little freak-out moment. Like, is that for real? Could the Lord actually will that I don't wake up in the morning? Yes, yes, that's his prerogative. If the Lord wishes, you live. You live one more day, maybe, maybe longer. I don't really know. If the Lord wishes, you live. You see, James is saying you need to make an audible declaration every day that your life is in the hands of God and not in your own hands. Because you don't want to be the idiot with the barns. If the Lord wishes, you, Demi, will live one more day. What's your name? Dude in the hoodie, cross country? Chris. Chris. If the Lord wishes, Chris, 
You get another day. I know, you talk to him about that. If the Lord wishes, you live. That's the first thing. We all kind of go through our days assuming we're going to live another day. Now, this is a pretty good thing normally to think about. But it also detaches us from the fact that someday you will die. That's a guarantee that unless Jesus returns, all y'all going to die. Probably after me. But that's the one thing we're sure of. Tomorrow? Yeah, it could go either way. If the Lord wills, you live. And then you get to do this or that. Do you see why the this or that really doesn't matter so much then? If the Lord wills, you live. And then you get to do this or that. And you're like, well, I'd really rather focus on the first thing. (laughs) Because God is not so concerned with us making a living. God wants us to have a life. God is not so concerned with you making a living. He is very concerned with you having a life. A life that is lived in relationship with him. That's what God wants. If the Lord wishes, you will live and do this or that. We need to reframe how we are spending our time so that it reframes how we spend our money. And one of the most radical kingdom things that we can do as a community and as individuals and as Christians is to keep Sabbath. Sabbath is a day that we set aside and we say, on this day, we're not going to work. On this day, we are going to be content. On this day, we are going to say, I am enough. I have enough. God will take care of all things. That's Sabbath. I am enough. I have enough. And God will take care of all things. And some of you know this. Some of you are Sabbath practicers. Because your primary work for many of you is being a student, you set that work aside on Sunday and you say, I'm not going to do any homework on Sunday. And I'm going to get involved in my local church and I'm going to make meals with my friends and I'm going to rest and sleep and watch football and come to loft. And I'm going to delight in the fact that I don't have to do any homework today because I am the Lord's and I am enough. And I have enough. Do you see how countercultural that is? Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, and he wrote this great book called Sabbath as Resistance, colon, saying no to the culture of now. Sabbath as resistance. Don't you just love that? Doesn't the agent of renewal in you just kind of get a little excited about that idea? (laughs) Sabbath as resistance. And he says, Sabbath was given as a gift to the people after they were set free from Egypt. Because the Pharaoh in Egypt was all about the work. Do some more work and work a little bit harder. And you're a bit a little bit lazy and you gotta make bricks without straw. Not just you, everybody. Bricks without straw. And you gotta produce. You gotta make just as many now as you used to make. Go, 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 go. Produce, produce, produce. Work, 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 work. And then the people are set free. 
And they're all ready to keep going and work some more. And God says, no, 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 no. You're under new management now. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You don't have to do any work on the Sabbath. You or your mad servant or your maid servant or your oxes or ass or your soldier and your gates, anybody, nobody does any work. You get a car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> He's saying none of you have to work on Sunday. Woo! And we're like, we don't believe you. I'm going to go do homework now. That's the gift of Sabbath. The gift of Sabbath says we are under new management. And the economy of the kingdom is different than the economy of the world. And we will be resistors against it. Sabbath. There have been two companies in the news lately who are Sabbath keepers. One of them is Hobby Lobby. And the other one is Chick-fil-A. I know some of you right now are like tasting the chicken with a little pickle. And the... I know some of you are like, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> the closest one is in South Bend. It's two hours away. Their waffle fries are gluten-free. Um, so these two companies, when they began, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A, each of them as a company made the commitment that we will not be open on Sundays. It will not be open on Sundays. And when people are uh, running back from being away for the weekend and they want to hit a fast food, it's usually on Sunday. People have a long afternoon, they think, I'm going to make crafts, often on a Sunday. Both of these companies said, no, that's not who we are. We're going to let our people rest. We're going to let the economy rest. We are going to say, God's got it. We have enough. We are enough. God will take care of everything. And so when they've been in the news the last few years, it's been about stands that they have made around ethical issues, around life and death, around sexual ethics, about what they'll pay for and what they won't. And we can have disagreements about their choices, and we have disagreements about the law, but what's really interesting is to think that all of their years of Sabbath practice gave them the moral muscle they needed to make the hard business decisions when they came up. Sabbath practice gave them the moral muscle to make the harder decisions when they come up. Because let me tell you something, harder decisions will come up for you. Your life is less demanding now, my dear ones, than it will be after you graduate. Your life is less demanding now than it will be after you graduate. How do we embrace the economy of the kingdom now when so much of how you spend your days is seemingly under your choice to get you ready to live as kingdom citizens when you graduate. Sabbath keeping is one way to say that we are from a different culture. We do things differently. We are kingdom citizens. 
Sabbath is also a way to find out what the Lord wishes. You know, it's not like when James says, if the Lord wishes, we will, that we're all like standing around like, I don't know what the Lord wishes. Do you know what the Lord wishes? Do you know what the Lord wills? I don't know. I, haven't, I don't know. Sabbath is how we spend time in worship together, in private prayer and devotion, listening to the Lord, learning what he wishes. What is your will for me today? Sometimes we're like, I don't know what the Lord is, wills live for my life. I don't know what it is for your life either, but we can figure out what he wants you to do today. Be devoted. Have good practices. Read scripture, pray, be kind to people, be generous, change your neighborhood. We can work on that today. Another big counter-cultural revolution as agents of renewal is to be generous, to give it away, to give things away, to be so unattached to your stuff that you could just give it away. Are we at the point where we can just give stuff away, give money away, give away our time? Can we have a conversation with somebody when we don't look at our phones? I'm going to be generous with my time, and we're going to have a conversation, and all I'm going to be thinking about is what you are saying to me and not about the 27 other things that I have to do. I'm going to be generous with my time. I'm going to be generous with my money. I may not have a lot of it, but I'm going to start now to say I'm going to give away 10% of what I get. I'm just going to give it away. I'm going to be delightfully unattached to stuff. I'm just, I'm going to give it away. Years ago, I was part of a church community, and there was this man who was this huge Cubs fan. And in West Michigan, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a proud and loyal small tribe. And there was somebody else that he ran into who was kind of coming back from a hard time. And my friend, the Cubs fan, was wearing a really sweet Cubs jacket. All right, like the embroidery and the numbers, and it was sweet, and he loved his Cubs jacket. And his friend said to him, man, that is a sweet jacket. There aren't very many other Cubs fans around here. And my friend gave him his Cubs jacket without a thought because he was delightfully unattached to it. It's a jacket. It keeps me warm. Took it off right there in the moment, gave it to the man. The man was stunned. The man began to be in deeper relationship with my friend because he gave him the jacket. He was like, well, this guy's serious about this Jesus business. He's serious about giving things away. Counter-cultural. When everything says, hang on to what you have, hoard, plan for the future. If the Lord wills, we will live. Everything else is gravy. If the Lord lives, we will live, and we will go and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live, and we will go to Hungary or Peru or Washington, D.C. If the Lord wills, we will live. And then we get to do a whole bunch of other stuff, too. James is working to develop a group of people who are sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ and are willing to make sacrifices to show it. And the Holy Spirit is saying the same things to us today. Are you willing to lay down your money? Are you willing to lay down your time? 
So many of us are willing to lay down our lives for the gospel, like we're willing to die for it. Are we willing to give up 15 minutes early every day for it? Are we willing to set aside our homework for one day for it? James, friends, the merchants, they had grown pretty accustomed to planning their own life and guaranteeing their own futures. And he says to them, no, 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 there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. How are you living as a kingdom citizen? God isn't really interested in how much we want to make a living. He's very interested that we have life and have it abundantly. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you that you do not let us off the hook when it comes to how we manage our time and how we manage our money. We thank you that you want us to have lives abundant and full and free and rich. And so help us to resist where we need to resist and to embrace what we need to embrace. We thank you for Jesus, the one who showed us what it's like to live a life where the Son of Man has no place to lay his head and where he sent the disciples out with nothing and just said, just trust me. Lord, we give you everything. We open our closed fists. We surrender all. And we can't wait to see the life that you're going to give us. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.